Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. That's right. It's the 30 something movie podcast. I feel like now that we're in October and we've got the like the scary opening for the podcast, the Halloween opening for the podcast, I yep. feel like maybe we should just do the entire show in scary Halloween voices. That was most impressive. Darkness falls across the land, the midnight hour. We could just do that the whole time. That <laughs> yes. Yes. Somebody go dig up Vincent Price. <laughs> Dis- disembalm him? Yeah, sure. Why not? We'll just get him on here. He can be a guest. That's fine. This time around, it's episode number 265. Uh, Celia, or in America, Celia, Child of Terror. Um, so, spoiler alert. We're going to talk about this movie. <laughs> spoiler alert. You've probably never heard of it. Uh, also, you can leave us an iTunes review uh, or wherever you get your podcast. But iTunes is very, very helpful. And visit our website, 30podcast.com. Don't have any news this time around, but I am going to jump in the DeLorean super fast and drive probably at least 88, 89 uh, miles an hour. So this week in 89, we are around about the first or kind of first week and a half of October. Uh, so October 3rd, 1989, the Oakland Raiders promote Art Shell to head coach. He is the first African-American NFL head coach in the modern nice. era. Nice. Uh, October 4th, 1989, Dakota Johnson uh, was born. She was in the Fifty Shades of Grey movies and Bad Times at the El Royale. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, 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 da. Also, there's a lot of stuff that happened on October 4th. October 4th, 1989, uh, Monty Python member Graham Chapman died of cancer. Okay. October 4th, 1989, uh, the Racehorse Secretariat died. Ah, oh, yeah. Uh, I believe he was 19 years old. I believe he was born in 1970. So, uh, And then October 6th, 1989, Betty Davis dies at age 81. Uh, she was in All About Eve and a bunch of other movies. Top book this time was Clear and Present Danger by Tom Clancy. It's going to sit there for quite a while at that top book spot. Uh, top movie is still Black Rain from a couple weeks ago. Top song is Girl, I'm Going to Miss You by Millie Vanilli. That was starting the week of September 30th. And then starting the week of October 7th, it's Miss You Much by Janet Jackson. So our movie this time around is called Celia in Australia. But in America, it was titled Celia, Child of Terror. Uh, it was released December 1989 in the States. It is not rated. Runtime of one hour and 43 minutes, directed by Ann Turner, who also did a movie called Dallas Doll and Irresistible. Producers were Gordon Glenn and Timothy White. Glenn did a movie called Beginnings, and White did a movie called I Am Mother. Writer was Ann Turner, the director. She also wrote Dallas Doll and Irresistible. Cinematography was done by Jeffrey Simpson, who did Shine and Cargo. Music was done by Chris Neal, who did The New adventures of black beauty and farscape the tv series budget for this one was 1.4 million australian and the box office was 23,600 i'm sorry 23,336 australian so it made no money we'll just put it that way 
Uh, Rotten Tomatoes critics didn't do this one. Rotten Tomatoes audience gives it an 86%. IMDb gives it a 68%. Letterboxd gives it a 72%. And CinemaScore gives it a big old goose egg. No score for this one. Starring Rebecca Smart as Celia Carmichael. She was in The Shira Lee and Water Rats, the TV show. Um, I'm just going to say right now, you're probably not going to recognize any of these names because they're all Australian actors and they probably weren't in anything that you saw, but we're just going to go through them anyway, because Hey, they made a movie and they deserve it. Excellent reasons. Yeah. Uh, it is the reason I stay for the credits in every movie I see because these people worked hard. So you might as well. Uh, Nicholas Eady played Ray Carmichael. She was in a, a difficult, I'm sorry. He was in a difficult woman and run Chrissy run Victoria Longley, who died in 2010 played Alice Tanner. She was in turtle beach and the more things change. Mary Ann Fahey played Pat Carmichael. She was in the comedy company and the Dunera boys. Margaret Ricketts played grandmother. She was in blue healers and dead end. Alexander Hutchinson was Steve Tanner. He was in dragon quest and kingdom. Adrian Mitchell, who died in 2008, played Carl Tanner. He was in Man Friday and the Pied Piper by Adrian Mitchell. Callie Gray played Meryl Tanner. She was in Blue Healers and State Coroner. Martin Shaman was Evan Tanner, was in Radio Days and Undercover. Uh, Claire Couty was Heather Goldman. This is her only movie. Amelia Frid played Stephanie Burke. She was in the TV series, uh, like the soap opera Neighbors. Uh, William Zappa played Inspector John Burke. He was in Mad Max to the Road Warrior and Quigley Down Under. And Deborah Lee Furness played Miss Greenway, the teacher. She was in Legend of the Guardians and Shame. Here is the trailer audio, and we'll be back in just a moment. Creep, creep, creeping came the hobby hours. Skip, skip, skipping on the ends of their toes ran the hobby hours. And the hobby hours cried, pull down the hemp stalks, eat up the little old man, carry off the little old woman. Granny! Yeah! We'll just be a sec. Condition. You're not to play with the tanners anymore. They've got Granny's mask. Swear on my living heart. Blood will move apart. So I'm, I'm not even going to ask when the first time you saw this was, because I'm assuming it was last week. Yes, for me, at least. Okay. Bo, I'm assuming Agreed. you haven't. Okay. All right. I kind of figured. So Bo asked me this before we started recording. He was like, where did you find this movie? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the where I found this movie was I was going through our list of movies, because I, I do these lists about a year ahead of time, like just within the last month or so, I've kind of already solidified our list for next year. So I usually do these kind of in the fall 
before just so I'm able to track down copies of the movies and everything else. Mm -hmm. So what I was doing last year was as I was looking through probably around this time, probably around October, I was looking through and I had kind of made our list of movies and I was like, you know what, what are some other like good October horror movies? Like what's some stuff that maybe we wouldn't have seen before. I, I don't want everything to be something that we've already seen. I, I want there to be a few surprises here and there and a few that maybe we wouldn't normally choose. Um, mm -hmm. and just kind of throw some of those in. So I was looking around and as uh, it was probably October time last year, I remember looking around and I remember seeing, I think at one point I went through some of the rotten tomato stuff and I said, okay, let me take a look at any movie from this year that got an 80% or higher on rotten tomatoes. Um, and let me see what's there. So as I, as I was starting to look through some of these, I'm going through, I'm going through and I find this one called Celia child of terror. And I'm like, okay, well that's my interest is peaked in, in as mm -hmm. far as uh, horror movies go. So let's see what that is. So I didn't really look up anything about the story, but I did start to look around at some of the different, uh, like movie websites, like that letterboxed website, uh, which mm -hmm. is kind of like a like Facebook for movie lovers. Um, and that's kind of selling letterbox short. It's more than a Facebook. It's better than a Facebook. Um, but it's like people who really love movies and like they have, you know, their opinions are well thought out. It's not just people going, that one was really bad. Um, cause then so, that would be like, that would be like me. No, you have well thought out opinions occasionally, but they're, okay, not always, I, I, they're not always right, but you have well thought out opinions. <laughs> no. Nice. Um, so, so as I'm looking around, I'm like, you know what, this one, this one actually gets kind of high scores from some of these people. And I'm, I'm reading some of these and they're like, this is not your typical horror movie. I'm like, Oh, all right, let's give that one a try. So, um, and, and again, with these movies that I've never seen before, I try not to look anything up before I watch them. I try to do that after I've watched them. And this was kind of like that. It was, this was on the list. I found a copy of it on YouTube. Um, it actually ended up uh, streaming on that Tubi channel that I've been using lately to watch some other movies. Um, I was like, okay, well that's weird. Cause it wasn't on there a few weeks ago. I don't think. And all of a sudden now it's there. And I'm like, I never would have known to go looking for this one uh, had I not put it on the list for the podcast. So that's kind of the story of how it got there was it was kind of obscure. It was one that I knew none of us probably would have seen before. And I was like, you know what? Let's just give it a try. Let's see what it is. So, so that's my story and I'm sticking to it. But yeah, after watching this one, so let's just, we'll just do initial reactions. I, I, I get the feeling that probably we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this one. Um, but kind of my reaction to this one is I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It's not a horror movie. And I mm. think, I think I was having a hard time with it for the first two thirds of the movie until I finally just realized, you know what, either this is a horror movie. That's a real slow burn and something's going to pay off at the end or this is not really a horror movie. Like it's, it's almost more of a psychological thriller kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I told myself that, then I was like, okay, well let's watch the movie as if it's a psychological thriller and we'll go from there. And at that point I was like, Oh, you know what? This movie's actually not too bad. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get what this movie's trying to do. I get what it's trying to be. And then it helped once I had finished the movie, then it helped for me to go back and to read that the director herself uh, had said, look, this is not a horror movie. I don't like the fact that, people have labeled it as a horror movie. And she said, in fact, that's not even a thing that they did in Australia. That's an American thing. Oh, this movie came over to America. They released it in maybe a few theaters here and there, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And then they decided that, 
um, you know, this was maybe going to get more traction on VHS. So there was a VHS uh, distributor. They were called, I had it written down at one point somewhere, a uh, distributor called Trilon Video or something like that. And they had bought the rights to this and they started to package it. They actually were the ones that retitled it Celia Child of Terror. Because in Australia, okay. it's just Celia. It's just the girl's name. Mm-hmm. And what they started to do was they started to package this under some of their – they had a, a character, and I forget what her name was. Um, it was like Katarina's Nightmare Theater. or so. It was like their version of Elvira. Okay. And so they were like, let's put this in as a horror movie, and we're going to have her introduce it on the VHS. Okay. And so they categorized this as horror because it had the monster hands, the, the habias or however you say mm-hmm. it, um, because it had those monsters in it. And because it was, you know, the child takes a turn, uh, in the movie, they decided to categorize it as horror. And that's how that stuck. But the I director see. in Australia, the director, you know, everybody else, they're like, this is not a horror movie. It's not, I, I wish people wouldn't categorize it as that because we didn't make a horror movie. Mm-hmm. We made a movie that shows, how children deal with, I, I like how, I think it was Janet Maslin, one of the uh, movie critics from the eighties the uh, that was big in the eighties. The way she put it was, it shows how children deal, deal with the tyranny of adults, mm. all the junk that goes on in the adult world and how do kids deal with that? And so when you view the movie that way, when you don't look at it as a horror movie and you view it that way, I'm like, Oh, well, yeah, this is actually a pretty good movie. Yeah. Otherwise if I'm watching it as a horror movie, I'm like, this is not a very good horror movie. But then when I found that out about the movie, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that kind of changes my perspective a little bit. And I, I, I got more of that sense, like the the creeping dread of the the red menace, you know, the the communism and the the rabbits and and everything else. I'm like, okay. Well, now that I look at this differently, yeah. I I hear what you're saying. I I, I have to be honest. And like I said, I'm um, I'm a little hazy on the details at the end. I'm freely admitting. So. Um, what was the deal with the rabbits? Was that kind of just satire or no? So in the fifties, there's a really good movie. And I, I don't know if I'm mixing two movies together. There's a really good movie that I remember seeing at one point. I think either my dad took us to kind of a, a little art house theater or something. And we saw a movie that I think had Kenneth Branagh as the lead actor. And it was called rabbit proof fence. Okay. And this was, oh, I think I was in college when I saw it with him. So it must, it would have been like early 2000s. And it's a really good movie. It's, uh, I think it takes place maybe in the 1950s, if I had to guess. Because this movie, Celia, takes place in 1957. Okay. And the movie Rabbit Proof Fence, this is how I knew about the, the whole rabbit thing, was there was a rabbit infestation in Australia, and it was out of control. And they were just destroying – I mean, there, there's large tracts of Australia that are, are not great for farming and other stuff anyway. Um, but they have – they had this rabbit infestation, and mm-hmm. it was just ravaging the land. And so what they did was in the 50s, they built this rabbit-proof fence – and I believe, if I remember right, it stretched from one coast of Australia to the other. Okay. And the idea being that then farmers would herd the rabbits towards the middle of the country, towards the middle of the continent of Australia. And as they herded mm-hmm. them toward the fence, then they could easily catch them and kill them. I see. So in this movie that I saw back in the probably early 2000s, um, the interesting part of that is they 
because this is a big deal in Australian history. This would be like the potato famine in Ireland or or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rabbits, that in that movie, it was kind of paired with these two um, uh, Aboriginal girls, two or three of them. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Two or three Aboriginal girls that escape from kind of a, a Christian re-education school where they're being forced to give up their Aborigine heritage and they're being forced to adopt Christianity and, and all that. And they escape from that school and they're kind of, I think their escape is that they're trying to follow the uh, rabbit proof fence so that they can get back home to where their tribe was from. Uh, Really good movie. Like if you ever get a chance, I I don't remember. I mean, I think it's rated PG. I I don't remember anything highly inappropriate about it or anything like that, but a a really interesting, if you want to see something about a part of Australia's history that you might've never heard of before, um, that's probably not a bad way to get a picture of it. Okay. But this one, I kind of get the sense that they were using the whole rabbit infestation to go along with the whole idea of the communist infestation, because those okay. kind of went hand in hand in this movie. Right. Um, so you kind of got the sense every time they talk about, well, the rabbits are vermin. The rabbits are they're pests. They're you got to kill all of them because if you don't kill all of them, they'll just take over everything. Then of course right. the girl absolutely wants a rabbit. She loves the rabbit. She sees the rabbits as being absolutely great like the 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 rabbits are lovely and and cuddly and lovable and all kinds of stuff just in the same way she befriends the next door neighbor family and while her dad her mom's kind of non-existent and her dad's really a jerk Mm -hmm. but the neighbor family is so nice to her and they are very reasonable people and they've come across as very nice people so you kind of get the sense that the whole rabbit infestation and the communism threat are meant to go kind of hand in hand and that she sees you know, she's not necessarily old enough and and wise enough to know what's going on with the whole communism thing, but she knows what's going on with the rabbits. So mm-hmm. that's kind of her way of connecting the bigger adult issue with what's going on in her life. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's my little Australian history lesson. And I hope I got it right. If anybody's listening that's from Australia and I got it wrong, just let me know. But that's what I know about the uh, the rabbits and the, the rabbit-proof fence. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. But this, I think this is, this is an interesting movie. If you watch it more as like a, a social and political drama mm-hmm. where the child, in, instead of it being like a demon child, instead of it being like the omen or, uh, exorcist or one of those movies where the child actually turns into a, a, a demon or is possessed or something like that. If you look at this as, as no, this is just a child that's been pushed too far. Mm-hmm. Like, the adults have just pushed her and pushed right. her and pushed her and pushed her. And as a child, you don't have the wherewithal or the capacity to really know how to deal with all that. Mm-hmm. And she's mm-hmm. also kind of bullied a little, I feel like. Oh, yeah. So it's not just the parents pushing her, I guess, is what I'm saying. She's going right. through a lot of stuff. Right. 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 Well, you start off within the first, what, 10 seconds of the movie, her grandmother dies. Right. And her grandmother was her best friend. Um, you also get the sense that her grandmother probably would have sided with the communist people. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the sense that her grandmother was, was very liberal in her political leanings and, uh, that she probably would have favored the next door neighbors more so than her own family. And grandma was also the one knocking at the window at one point, right? Yeah. In, in the scenes that kind of make you think, well, okay, maybe this is a horror movie. That's where she's like clawing at the window. And when she sees her at the quarry, um, and sees her a couple of different times in the movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was the same, that kind of old woman that keeps reappearing at different times is supposed to be her grandmother. Yeah. 
scared the bejesus out of me. Uh-huh. Well, those the creepy blue creatures. Mm-hmm. Those were also a little creepy. The creepy creature hand and everything. Oh, yeah. Kept coming, kept coming through the window and, and all that yep. stuff. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, I didn't know. I had to look it up. I didn't know that the story of the Habias was, uh, was like an actual real uh, fairy tale and folk tale. That uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess this was a story. I, I looked this up too. I guess this was a story that was part of, um, you know how like in American school you might be taught the story of, oh Jack and the Beanstalk or any of those you know the three Billy Goats Gruff or stuff like that. This was a story that I guess in Victorian times was included in some of the books that children would read in school, oh. and it and it was roundabout. At this time, it was around about the 40s, maybe early 50s and 40s, when parents started to get upset about it. And they're like, look, this story terrifies my children. Take it out of the school books. So you had mm-hmm. a bunch of parents that were kind of fighting back against this story. And, and teachers were like, well, we've taught this for decades. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a regular staple in our in our teaching and our stories. And parents were like, my kids are terrified. Take it out of the books. So you kind of mm-hmm. had this period of time where that story started to get removed from a lot of the readers that the kids would have been reading in school. Um, but it would have been something, you know, if, if you'd grown up in Australia, uh, you probably would have known this, I guess the, these creatures, I don't know if they have the same name in every story, but I guess it stretches even further back, like to, uh, originally from Scotland, I guess is where the story came from. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I, I guess had you grown up in Scotland or grown up in, in Australia, you might've known this story, uh, you know, just being told as, as one of those other kind of fairy tales and folk tales. Interesting. But yeah, you just, you get a sense in this movie that it's just the kid. It's, there's nothing necessarily supernatural here. It's all her psyche and it's Mm -hmm. all her trying to deal with what's going on around her. And as you watch the movie, you see she's, she's pulling stuff from all these different places to try to understand the world around her. Mm -hmm. You know, she pulls from the story of the Habias to, to understand, well, they came and got my grandma. Like maybe Mm -hmm. I don't understand death but I understand the story I read in school and they came and they took her away. And, um, you know, they, they came to, you know, take my rabbit away and they came to do this. And, you know, when she's, when she's picturing other stuff, she's kind of like flashing back to the movies she saw in the theater. Um, Mm -hmm. and the movie turns black and white for a minute because she's remembering that black and white movie she saw. So it's, I think it's really interesting that, and I, I almost want to go back and rewatch this again, knowing what I know now after kind of reading up on some stuff that I would be curious to go back and watch this from the beginning with the understanding that this is not a horror movie. This is more of a, you know, let's examine the mind of a child who's going through all this trauma and trying to make sense of it. Yeah, I agree. Like I, after hearing you guys talk about it and hearing you kind of report your findings, I'm right there with you. Like, it's like, okay, I want to go back in now. I want to kind of, get that because it is it is a uh it is a cool premise yeah i think either way it is still an odd little movie but um. it is yeah yeah it's it's an interesting little movie um and especially and pat i'm gonna spoil some stuff for you especially if you go back and and rewatch it at this point but um you get to the point where they do the whole back and forth with her rabbit and Mm -hmm. you know the government you know makes the proclamation that even pet rabbits are not going to be allowed um, mm-hmm. so the police officer who happens to be her uncle John, uh, right. and also the father of the girl that keeps tormenting her, mm-hmm. uh, he comes to take the rabbit. Have you gotten up to that point yet? Yeah, I, that's about where uh, I had to stop. Okay. 
So, yeah. So he, he tries to bring a uh, – he's got like a little black puppy and he's like, well, you can have this puppy but I have to take your rabbit. Like the government says I have to take your rabbit. And that's kind of around the same time that the neighbors had to move away because um, the Celia's dad worked at the company where the next door neighbor's dad worked and he told somebody at the company that he was a communist and so he got fired. Okay. So the neighbor, the Tanners, they were the next door neighbors that were the communist family. Um, they ended up having to pack up and leave. Like he was able to, I think he was able to find a job in Sydney. So they said they were going to be moving to Sydney, um, but they had to pack up and leave. So that's another traumatic thing that this family that she loved, you know, this other woman that she loved almost more than probably her own mother. Everybody's up and leaving. Um, they're moving away and they're moving away because of her dad. So Celia is furious with her father for doing all this. Um, you have different points in the movie where they make the voodoo dolls and they like throw the voodoo dolls into the fire chanting, die, die, die. And one of them is of her, her own father. Um, so, you know, you, you get the sense that definitely things are not going well here. And then as it goes on, you, you kind of get to the point where they, they have to come back again and the uncle comes back and like sneaks in at night and steals the rabbit, like kidnaps the rabbit and takes it away. And that's traumatic. Uh, then later on you get to the point where rabbits, the, the parents have kind of fought back against the government and the government says, okay, you can now get special permits so that you can have your rabbits. So then all of these kids that had to surrender their rabbits go to the local zoo to pick their rabbits up and all the other kids are getting their rabbits, but she finds hers, uh, dead in a bucket of water. Oh, good. So, good. right. So, you know, things are, things are staying pretty positive here. Uh, so she is take carrying her dead rabbit and her friend, I guess also had a rabbit that had died. So the two little girls are carrying their dead rabbits, uh, back home. And then you kind of get to a scene a little bit later on where she's, uh, I think the parents are going to a party somewhere and they're going to leave her there for a little bit. Um, and they're like, you know, we'll, we'll be back in a little bit. Your uncle is going to come over and watch you for a little bit, uh, but just don't get in any trouble. And so she and her friend, I think her friend's name was Heather. I don't know if I'm getting that right or not. Um, but uh, so they kind of get into their their mother's clothes a little bit. Like they're getting, they're putting makeup on, they're putting the clothes on, they're trying stuff on. Celia takes uh, some of the lipstick and she's like painting war paint on her face. Mm-hmm. Never a good sign. Never a good sign. And... Then the uncle comes over, and at first, um, when the uncle comes over, he's downstairs, and he's talking to the other little girl, and then Celia comes downstairs, and through the trauma of having her rabbit taken away and her rabbit dying and just all this other stuff, um, when she comes downstairs and she sees the policeman, she sees her Uncle John, she sees him as one of the blue creatures, like she looks at the back, he's mm-hmm. turned away from her and he sees, she sees his back and she sees him as one of these like slimy blue hobby creatures. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you realize she's carrying a shotgun <laughs> and the uncle turns around and he looks like he has a hobby face and she shoots him and kills him. Hello, rabbit. <laughs> so yes, actually you've, you've hit right on the head. This episode will be titled kill the rabbit. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just I, I, I'm not laughing, listening audience, because I'm a sadistic person. I'm just laughing just because it's just like that's rough, man. That's a rough situation. Well, you, you kind of get to the point in this movie where where like craziness happens, and you just kind yeah. of are looking at it, and just going, "Oh, why not?" Yeah, I could see that. I could see that at this point. Why not? Look, um, I'm a reasonable guy. I've just been faced with some really unreasonable things. Right. Right. Um, so 
then the girls run off and ultimately they, they end up getting found by Celia's mother. They bring her back home. Uh, the policeman's being loaded into the back of a, a you know, morgue truck or, a, a, you know, ambulance or something. And um, the police start to question Celia and she passes out. Like she blacks out all of a sudden. This is a part where things kind of go black and white and she's kind of somehow projecting the movie that she saw earlier, the crime movie that she saw earlier. She's kind of projecting onto real life. So it it does this weird thing where it fades from color to black and white. And, and then she passes out and you find out that she's been asleep for three days. Mm-hmm. And mom notices as she's been kind of taking care of Celia, mom notices that she's got a bruise on her shoulder from where the, the gun would have kicked back when she fired it. Mm-hmm. So Celia's mom kind of figures out what happened here and she kind of helps cover it up. Like she's trying to make sure that her daughter does not get in trouble for this. Uh, So she covers the whole thing up. Um, And then it kind of things kind of go quickly from there. Like then it's a few days later, Celia's back at school. Uh, The girl that had been bullying her, who was the daughter of the uncle. So it was her cousin was the daughter of the uncle, the police officer who was shot and killed. She comes back to school. Uh, The teacher brings her up to the front and says, now everybody let's uh, let's pray for Stephanie. She's very brave coming back to school this quickly after the death of her father. Uh, Let's all pray for her. And as everybody Mm -hmm. bows their heads, starts to pray. Celia refuses to bow her head. And the little Stephanie girl looks at her and she like tugs on the teacher's sleeve and says, uh, miss Celia is not praying. And the teacher just stares at her and says, Celia, you need to bow your head and pray. And she looks for a minute, like she's about to fight back or she's about to say something mm-hmm. and she doesn't. And then eventually after this really long kind of awkward pause where they're all staring at each other, she eventually closes her eyes and, and bows her head. And then it cuts to the kids back in the quarry and they're mm-hmm. playing. And all of a sudden they, you realize that Celia has a long rope that's tied into a noose at the end of it. And oh, they've good. got this, what like almost looks like a, a Ku Klux Klan hat, like a hood. Yeah. Um, and so they throw this rope up over like an electrical pole and they, she starts doing this like mock trial. She's like, since we couldn't find the killer of Stephanie's father, we're going to hold a trial now and we will execute the killer. And so then they grab the other little girl she had been playing dress up with, the one who's been pretty quiet this whole movie. She grabs her. She has that girl sit on the shoulders of one of the boys. They put the mask on the little girl's head and they put the noose around her neck. And then she has one of the other boys knock the other boy out from under her and the girl starts to hang. Oh, good. And she starts to swing there for a good, I don't know, three or four seconds or so. And then Celia hits some kind of, Like she cuts the string or she does something. The rope falls to the ground. The little girl gets up, takes the noose off and everybody's like looking at each other. And finally one of them says, I'll race you to the top of the hill. And then the kids go running up the hill to go play and credits. Huh? (laughs) That's what I said when I finished it. (laughs) Well, maybe not so much with the resolution, but Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, yeah, it, ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Bo, what did you think? I, I, I've been talking a lot and I know you, did you get all the way to the end? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what did you think of the end? Well, it, uh, it ended as strangely as it began. <laughs> you know, it definitely makes you think. And I, I have to admit, I didn't finish it that long ago today. So I don't know that I've quite processed the whole ending. Okay. Um, yeah, I. It, 
Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's about like that. Yeah, I, I really like. That's why I asked you when when we signed on tonight, like where you found this because I have <laughs> never heard of anything quite like it. Yeah. Um. They definitely. I didn't see it ending that way. I did yeah. not expect it. When I thought this was a horror movie, I kept thinking that that she was going to snap a whole lot earlier. Right. I thought the voodoo was... dolls were going to start killing people. Yeah. Or something. Well, and, and I kind of thought. I mean, I thought she was, especially when I saw. When I before I watched the movie, when I saw a screen capture of the movie, it might have been the VHS cover of it where she's got the red kind of war paint on mm-hmm. that she puts on with the lipstick at the end of the movie. I kept thinking, all right, so this is going to be kind of like a mixture of uh, Exorcist with Lord of the Flies with whatever, like maybe somehow this kid becomes evil and it, it's going to follow that horror trope of the like evil child character. And she's going to start killing people and uh, people are going to doubt it at first. Like, Oh no, Celia would never do anything like that. Um, I thought it was going to go that direction. But then as I'm watching the movie and I realized this is not really a horror movie, then I kind of lost that part of it. I was like, Oh, okay. So we're not going to go, you know, there's not gonna be a lot of bloodshed in this movie necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I, I think, I think that I expected when I started watching the movie and when things just kept happening to her and I'm like, Oh man, she's gonna don't nobody push this girl any further because she's going to snap. She's going to Mm -hmm. snap. She is going to take out everyone in her family. She's probably going to kill her father. She like, there were moments that I was waiting. Like there's a scene when she and her dad go fishing and I'm like, Mm -hmm. she's going to like stick a hook in his face or something. Right. Mm -hmm. No, there they was went a fishing. couple of times when I thought she was just going to snap on him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It didn't happen. Every time I'm like, oh, this is where. Nope. Right. Mm. Right. So I, I don't know. And like you said, it, this is a very unique little movie. And it has that. I mean, it, it really I think the thing it does really well is I do feel like it does a great job of following potentially the mind of a child. Where. Mm hmm all this bad stuff happens and the kids are trying to make sense of it. So the communist thing plays out through the rabbits or the things being taken away is played out through the folktale of the hobbies or the, when someone is killed, she remembers the crime uh, movie that they just saw in the theater with their family. Um, You know, or, I don't know, but like the way a kid would try to understand all these, like try to make sense of it in their own head. And then I got to the ending part of it. And, and actually part of what I thought was that is so very much the way a child would do this. Like Mm -hmm. this whole thing of we're going to have a hanging and we're actually going to, and then they actually go through with it. They do actually hang the girl for a few seconds and then they cut her down. And then it's like, without hesitation, race you to the top of the hill. Like that is so very much a child because a child doesn't, a a young child doesn't understand what they almost just did. Mm -hmm. And now let's just go play. Like it's time to go play now. They just, I mean, there's times, there's times even with my own children. Like I look at, not that they've tried to hang anybody, but I I look at my own children. I'm glad you finished that thought because I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I did find it was just purely for convenience, but I did find that there was a rubber band around one of Nora's monkey's necks and it was hanging from the side of her bed. And I was like, maybe we should take that down and 
attach it to your bed a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, I mean, there are times with my own kids, my own kids will do something and I'm like, how, how dare you do something like that? And then five minutes later, they're like, Hey, you want to go outside and play basketball? Like, mm-hmm. want to go, want to go play? Want to go play? Like, will you just do not realize that you just did something that was insulting to me or just, it was just infuriated both of your parents. And I, Oh, sorry. Want to go out and play now? Yeah. I like, so the end of this, to me, the end of this movie was not like, it, it almost didn't feel out of place. If I'm supposed to be following this movie from the mind of the nine-year-old child, I'm like, Oh, well then this director wrote it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of stuff in this movie that if I and I think it helps that I have a nine year old child, um, not like Celia, but <laughs> I have a nine year old child so I can look at that and I can go, OK, that's child logic. Mm-hmm. And Gosh. we work with kids. So I'm like, OK, we work with kids. I get it. Like child logic is not adult logic. And I, I probably shouldn't watch this movie trying to attach adult logic to it. Mm hmm. Because how's a kid going to understand the whole thing with the rabbit infestation and the communism scare and all that? How's a kid going to understand all that? Oh, this is how a kid's going to understand all that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, that was my takeaway of the movie was as a horror movie, not scary, not a good horror movie, but I, it wasn't meant to be. So as a movie that's a maybe let's a, a psychological thriller, social political drama that's mm-hmm. watching this child try to deal with all the stuff that's happening in the adult world. All right. right. I can do that. You're good with that. I'm good with that. Okay. And I don't know. I don't know if I'll go back and rewatch it again. I, I kind of would be curious to go back and rewatch it again. Now knowing what I know about what this movie is really supposed to be. Right. Um, but I don't know. It, it is a quirky little movie and I've got a lot of stuff on my list to watch, but I would encourage any of our listeners who have not, and I would imagine a lot of them have not seen this uh, right now. It is streaming for free on Tubi. So T U B I dot TV. Um, I feel like the, like the last few weeks have been a giant advertisement for Tubi, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it's streaming on there for free. That's probably about the only way you're going to find it. I did find a copy of it on YouTube, um, but it loses audio during the last five minutes. So if you want to see the entire movie in much better <laughs> quality and with full audio, um, you'll have to go check it out at uh, 2B.TV. So we're recording this in October 2019. So if you're listening to this at another time, it may not be on Tubi, but I'm just throwing that out there. If anybody's interested, it's it's an interesting, quirky little movie. Yes. Yeah, and, and and when you if you walk in knowing about all the allegories that it's trying to show about communism and and everything, it's it's definitely a different watch for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to criticize it. I, I got to admit it was a little slow moving for me. I, I, I mean, I, I know it's not supposed to be like whiz bang action thriller kind of thing. It's 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 going at a different speed. It's kind of plotted along at some spots for me. But I guess like like I said, knowing knowing what I know now and hearing you discuss it and hey, here's what they were shooting for. It's like, OK, maybe I'll, I'll watch 20 minutes of this and see what I pick up. And OK, yeah, that's I, I can't say that I'm going to be watching it all the time. But yeah, yeah. All right. Well, are we ready for our uh, Celia five questions? I want to play a game. Each traveler five questions. What's your favorite scary movie? Well, were they psychos? They look like psychos. Is that what they look like? They were vampires. Psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a how crazy they are. Please, Mister, this is insane. Boy, the next word that comes out of your mouth better be some brilliant. Because it's definitely getting chisel on your tombstone. 
Um, oh, I did want to say real quick. I, I did grab a quote from a website somewhere uh, where the author was asked about. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, this wasn't the author. This was from a website where they were kind of reviewing it. Um, they said, Ann Turner originally disliked the classification as a horror movie. And this is from uh, what the website said. Uncertain how to promote a psychologically complex Australian sociopolitical drama to the lucrative genre-driven American video rental market. Celia's proverbial round peg found itself jammed into the square hole of horror, where for the U.S. and Canadian markets, at least, it has remained. Okay. And it was the Child of Terror subtitle was an American creation from the VHS distributor Trilon Video. That would be why it was listed as horror originally. All right. All right. So five questions. Question number one. What is your favorite bizarre or lesser known fairy tale or folklore? So dig deep here. If you got any, mm-hmm. uh, got any like really weird ones that you've heard of before that you just enjoy. I don't know if it's still considered uh, a deep cut because it's kind of been brought back to the front lately, but I did always enjoy the, all the Krampus myths. Oh yeah. Um, Have you ever watched the movie Krampus? No. Oh, it's so funny. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to check it out. It's, it's a good, if you want like a, a horror comedy, it's, it's good stuff. All right, good enough. It's, I mean, it, it it's horror, but it's like campy horror. Okay. And it knows that it is, so it's on purpose. Okay. Yeah, it's fun stuff. So yeah, cool. Krampus and and Black Peter too. I mean, more Christmas like, mm-hmm. you know, anti Christmas Christmas type stuff. Yeah, has always intrigued me. Huh. I uh, I don't know if I have any. I don't know if I have any weird, uh, weird, uh, what was it? Not fairy tales, but mm-hmm. weird, like fairy tales. lesser yeah. known, lesser known or bizarre folklore or fairy tales. I, I don't really think I have much to okay. be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could, I could sit here for the next 20 minutes talking about how I don't have anything, but maybe I'll just be efficient and just say, sure. I don't think I know one. Don't have one. That's all right. So. I had a couple in mind, um, but I wanted to like, look up, I want to see like, are there some that I'm missing? Are there some that I've heard of before and I'm missing? And I was like, well, no, but as I'm looking them up, I started to read some of these other ones that I had never heard of before. And I think I've decided on one that I like in, in some like weird and twisted way. I was like, that's a fun little fairy tale. It's really morbid, but it's a fun little fairy tale. <laughs> so this one is an Italian fairy tale called Verde Prato. And it was written in, I believe, the 1600s by Giambattista Basile. And I'm just going to read you the uh, this little version of, of the story here. A stunningly beautiful young princess, whose name is Nella, is having a secret affair with a handsome prince who lives many miles away. The two lovers build a glass tunnel that runs under the ground. So this is more of like a summary of the story. It's not, especially when I get to the phrase butt naked, that's not in the original story, in the original <laughs> you know, 17th century Italian. Uh, the two lovers build a glass tunnel that runs under the ground from the prince's castle into the princess's bedroom. Every night, the prince runs through the tunnel, butt naked at top speed to quote, spend time with his young princess. Nella's two sisters who are ugly and evil learn of the affair and smash the glass tunnel. That night, the prince is running so fast to reach his young lover. He doesn't see the broken glass. And because he is butt naked, the skin all over his body is sliced to ribbons. Because the glass that cut him was enchanted, his wounds will not heal. The prince's father vows that the woman who can find a remedy for the enchanted wounds will be the prince's wife. 
Nella is heartbroken upon hearing of her mortally wounded prince and goes out into the wild to find a remedy that will heal him. Luckily, she overhears two ogres telling each other the only thing in the whole world that will heal the prince is to smear the fat from their own bodies all over the prince. Nella, pretending to be lost in the woods, begs the ogres to let her into their house. The ogre husband, fancying a bit of human flesh for dinner, lets her eagerly in, but sadly he drinks so much alcohol that he passes out before he gets to eat her. Nella quickly gets to work and slaughters him, then collects all the fat from his body in a bucket. She then rubs dirt all over her face to disguise herself and makes her way to the prince's palace. She smears the fat into the prince's wounds and he is healed as if by magic. Then she reveals her identity and the marriage is swiftly arranged and her sisters, they are of course burned alive. Of course, because that's what you do. Right. So, you know, if you want a bedtime story to read to your kiddos right before they go to bed late at night, I highly recommend Verde Prato by Giambattista Basile. Mm-hmm. Right on. It's the, it's the, of course the sisters were burned alive. Of course. That's right. what makes it art. Right. Right. And the sister, of course they were burned. What did you expect? Mm-hmm. What else mm-hmm. would be done? What else right. could be done? Mm-hmm. Number two, think back to your childhood now. What one thing did you think was most unfair? This one's easy for me. We moved around a lot. And right before we moved uh, from Texas over to England, my mom decided to have a massive garage sale. And at said massive garage sale, she didn't really want to put stuff into storage. And it was very expensive to take things over to the UK. So she decided at this garage sale that she had asked us, she said, you know, take some stuff out that you would like to sell at the garage sale and you'll, you know, you'll get some money. And then when we go over to England, you can buy some new toys over there. I said, okay. So I threw, I think I had some of my old GI Joes, some of my Lego stuff, things like that. I threw that into the garage sale. Well, uh, I think she started the garage sale either on a Thursday or a Friday. And I remember going off to school and I get back that afternoon and somehow magically, not only are my Legos, not only are my GI Joes out on the garage sale, but a basket filled with my He-Man toys and Star Wars toys. Oh, we're also yes. You're seeing where that, this story is going. That's not the approved list. No, 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 no. This was not the approved list at all. And so John, child of terror, mm-hmm. decided that he was not very happy with his mother for doing this, and proceeded to throw a bit of a fit. Uh, to which the mother said, sorry, too bad. Whole bunch of them have already been sold. I'm not moving them. We're not taking them to England. Go inside and don't come back out. So I then lost a good portion of my Star Wars toys and everything else and felt that that was very highly unfair. And, and, And still do to this day. I think I managed to steal some of them when she wasn't looking. And so I do have some of my original stuff, but I used to have a lot of really, really good stuff that mm-hmm. I don't have now because of that. Wow. So that's my unfair story. Well, my unfair story uh, just kind of pales in comparison. I don't think I even have an unfailed story, uh, an unfair story after upon hearing your unfair, <laughs> unfair story. I mean, that's... I had, I had two Rancor toys, mm. one that had a permanently lodged Han Solo in his stomach mm-hmm. right? Because, because I, because it was the toy that like you could open the mouth up. Mm-hmm. And I think I had it eating Han Solo one time and I pushed Han Solo too far and it ended up in the stomach of the Rancor and I never could get it out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I mean, that was, that was good stuff. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I had Chewbacca's cousin 
it was a second Chewbacca toy that I had, but I accidentally left it sitting on top of the car when I was playing out in, in out uh, outside one day, and the sun turned it from brown to green. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided it was Chewbacca's cousin. Right, right. I, mean, I had course. some, I had some, I had some great stuff. But wow, yeah, yeah. I don't know, John. I don't. I, Bo, what do you got? You know, I don't have anything like that, but um, just uh, the only thing I remember being completely unfair is I was the oldest child, and I always felt my little brother got away with things. Mm. Of course, I yeah, I don't have I don't have anything, guys. I I mean, definitely not to compare to John's story. <laughs> I am the oldest, so I mean, I'm sure there were times that I'm just like, you know, that's not fair and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, John, I, I think you kind of take the cake on that one, man. Yeah, that one's, that. That's yeah. that's pretty rough. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Now, mm-hmm. to to their credit, I did you know I did have a bunch of what they did let me keep in storage was I did have a bunch of the um, original Ninja Turtle toys. Okay. And I did get to keep a whole bunch of those, but I, not to my knowledge, was I ever told, well, you only get to keep one group of toys beyond this because I I don't think I would have been okay with that. But. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, when we got over to England, they did buy us a whole bunch of new toys when we got there because we didn't take a whole lot with us. So, but still, that was, it was a little traumatizing. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I did okay. not, I, I did not go all Celia on them. So. Okay. All right. Uh, number three. So this one's, this one's a little specific. Uh, what is your favorite monster hand from TV or movies? We had the Habia hand, the, the blue hand that kept showing up on the windowsill in this movie from time to time. What is your favorite monster hand? Hmm. Well, does the boomstick count? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You could do that. Right off the top, I would say the boomstick. <laughs> and we're doing the hand from Evil Dead too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to, the evil. Uh, in in the bucket underwell underneath the uh, farewell to arms book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess that would be. I'd have to say that. I'm trying to think of what other famous hands there are. Well, if you're going the comedy route, you could always do Thing from the Adams Family. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go now. I realize this is more of a glove, but I'm going to go with Freddy Krueger. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that works. Glove's got to go on something. I like the, I like the Freddy Krueger hand. Mm hmm. Good choice. Good choice. Man, Freddy Krueger. I, man, I might be coming up. Uh, I might be coming up blank. I kind of like the ones you guys recommended. So I might just, you know, second yours. Stick with that one. Mm hmm. All right. All right. Question number four. What is one thing that frightened you? As a child, if you had to pick one thing that you were just terrified of as a kid, what was yours? Turning off the lights in the basement, I would always have to just come running upstairs. Yeah, I, I'm an adult and I still do that sometimes. Sure, <laughs> sure. It's a scary Actually, I'm, place. I'm recording the podcast in the basement right now, so I will do that right after we're done recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah, run it up. Mm-hmm. This is why God invented cell phones, so I can turn on the uh, the backlight, the little flash to it, and go upstairs that way. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, for me, it's dogs. Mm, okay. I was terrified. I, I've mentioned on the podcast before, like when I was a little kid, I got chased by a group of dogs um, when I was probably like three in my neighborhood. And from that point on, I was terrified of dogs. Like it didn't matter if the dog was on a leash. It didn't matter if the dog was in the next county. I was terrified of dogs. So that was the only thing I can think of. I used to have nightmares and stuff like that as a kid. But the one thing that I could say consistently scared me as a child was any dog that was anywhere near me. Right. 
Right. I've always had an irrational fear of sharks. Okay. I've never even been near the ocean, really. Okay. Until this past, not this past summer, but the summer before when I was in Boston. Then I was mm-hmm. near the ocean. Okay. Right. Um, but sharks, I had a reoccurring nightmare when I was younger that I was in a pool. I say it's a pool because the water was perfectly blue clear like a swimming pool. But I was struggling to get up on this out of the water because coming at me were multiple sharks. Yeah, that's no good. Yeah, it was not great. That that was one of those reoccurring nights. It was not cool, bro. <laughs> I can imagine. No kidding. Hmm. Some scary stuff. All right. Um uh, Pat, did you say yours? Uh, you know, no, just shutting off the lights in the basement. Oh, the shutting off the lights. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a reoccurring dream that I would wake up in my room. Mm-hmm. That was kind of it. It was always like I would wake up and stuff would be moving around the room or something mm-hmm. like that. I would have imagined. And, um, and then I remember that I just wake up in the whole room. It'd, it'd be like red, you know, there'd just be this red haze or something in the room mm-hmm. and red lights. And there was a sadistic laughing and bad stuff i don't remember bad stuff happening but uh it would just i knew it was i was scared you know i'd just be scared so i guess it was just more of that kind of stuff just like some kind of a situation i was in okay all right yeah hey, now I'm, thank you i'm not gonna sleep tonight um, yeah sorry about that sorry about that sorry no, guys fine. sorry everyone you know no I, hey it's october that's kind of the point of these yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was speaking of recurring dreams. When when I lived in a um, in the college apartment that I had when I was at University of Illinois, I would have this recurring dream. I must have dreamt this thing I don't know a dozen times. Where I'd wake up in the middle of the night. Apartment was dark. Uh, I'd get up and I'd kind of walk from my bedroom into the kitchen. It wasn't that far, um, you know. But I'd keep all the lights turned off. I'd walk in there to get like a glass of water. And every single time I would dream this dream, um, the shadows would reach out and try to stab me or kill me or do something. Mm-hmm. And so it was that thing, like my other fear that I had mentioned, uh, on, on our other, on the podcast we did for little monsters. Um, like what makes a monster scary for me? The whole thing of it being unstoppable and either like invisible or sneaky. Like that was mm-hmm. it. Cause you're not, you're not fighting back against the shadow and right. it's pitch black. So it, it's basically the air that's trying to kill you. So, and this was a constant, like I would have this dream constantly and there would be times where I would have this dream and I hated this one where I would have this dream. The, the shadows or something would like grab me and try to kill me or strangle me or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, that was horrible. I'd get up to go get a drink of water and it would happen all over again. Oh yeah. Like I, I woke up and I was convinced I was awake, but then all of a sudden I'm still in the dream and it's still happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nope, no, thank you. Done out of here. Yeah. All right. Question five. Favorite Halloween costume you ever wore? I'm about seven, maybe eight. And my brother and I got suited up as Ghostbusters. Nice. That's cool. And my mom and my grandmother and my grandmother's friend all suited up as ghosts for us to bust. Oh, nice. We've got some nicely. We've got some fun pictures from that Halloween. That's cool. That's awesome. 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 What about you, John? 
we do. Well, I mean, we dress up a lot. We do the we do the whole family costume thing at the comic book show and all that. So we're we're pretty much in costume more than just October. Um, so one of my favorite costumes I've ever had is I've got a Jedi costume that I've used a couple times for that. Uh, yeah. I've got a rocket rocketeer costume i love the rocketeer costume um but i think the one that probably was my favorite costume to put the whole thing together and just the the way it all came together and how excited i was for it and the fact that i wore this thing constantly even beyond october because i was an obnoxious eighth grader and that's just what you do when you're an obnoxious eighth grader is um that was right after the movie the mask with jim carrey had come out Mm-hmm. And so I went to a Halloween store where that was when we were living in Southwest Missouri and there's not a whole lot around, uh, but about an hour and a half away is shopping. So we went to a Halloween store and I bought a, a rubber mask that looked exactly like the, the green mask head. Um, and I loved the mask comic book. Like I had read the comic book way before the movie came out and had loved that, but the movie came out and I remember I got this mask. My mom, I think we went to, it was either a Goodwill store or some kind of secondhand store somewhere nearby. And they happened to have a bright purple suit. So I was able to, I was able to do up this costume. I wish I had pictures of it somewhere. Cause I, uh, in my memory, it looks great. It looks perfect, but I had this bright purple suit. It was this ridiculous suit that looked just like it had come out of the mask movie. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I love this thing. I mean, this was my, this was my favorite costume I had up to that point. And I would even like then, when we'd go to, um, you know, cause the only other thing to go to in that town was high school football games. So I'd go to the high school football games and sometimes I would just wear the mask to the high school football game <laughs> Okay, just, just because I'm like, cool. I love this costume. I'm going to use this, you know, otherwise what am I going to do? Just use it for Halloween and then let it sit in the closet somewhere. So okay. I remember wearing this thing regularly beyond October to the point where it was probably super obnoxious to a whole bunch of people. Right. Right. But so that one's mine. What about you, Pat? My brother found this old hazmat suit and it was like, I don't know if it was in a surplus. I don't know what the heck, but it was in a case and he had like the full, I mean, now what Doc Brown and Marty wore weren't hazmat suits. I mean, those were nuclear, but it looked like that. It had the mask, it had everything. And that was, that was a pretty cool Halloween costume. Hot, but yeah, fun. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our five questions. That's going to do it for Celia, child of terror. Um, so if you come on back next time, first of all, you can check us out at 30 podcast.com interact with us on Twitter, Instagram, all the social stuff, uh, call our voicemail line. If you want to, it's eight, seven, two, three, five movie or eight, seven, two, three, five, six, six, eight, four, three. If you want to do that, you can also find that number on our website. Um, our next episodes coming up is uh, next time we're going to be doing Pet Cemetery. We will have an episode for the Joker movie at some point this month, probably pretty soon. Uh, then Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Leviathan and Shocker. And if we do get around to it, maybe an episode for Zombieland Double Tap, but I'm not sure about that one. Uh, so if you if you love a good scary movie and a good scary 80s movie, then uh, come on back each week as we will have plenty of great horror for you throughout the rest of the month of October. So thank you very much. Thank you, Pat, for enduring the horror. I know it's not your favorite. Uh, hey, man, it, it, it was all good. There you go. There you go. Uh, Bo, thank you very much for being here, too. Thank you, John. Uh, and again, as we said, it's probably worth it's a This is a quirky little movie. It's available streaming for free on that website I mentioned before. Um, go check it out. Like if this sounds interesting to you at all, go check it out. If you want more on the Australian history stuff of it, that movie Rabbit Proof Friends with uh, Kenneth Branagh 
excellent movie. It's a great movie. Um, you know, go check that one out too. But uh, yeah, so we'll be back here probably with a little bit more of a horror bent to our episode as we do Pet Cemetery next time. And uh, otherwise, until then, uh, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good scary movies, and we'll see you back here next time. 